Are you looking for a memorable getaway for your family that's packed with adventure? Look no further than Lake Erie. Powderhook, in partnership with the Great Lakes Fishery Commission, has all the resources you need to plan your adventure to the walleye capital of the world. The best part is, you don't have to be an experienced angler or own a boat to have a fantastic time on the water. While walleye are the main attraction, Lake Erie also offers excellent fishing for yellow perch, trout, steelhead, salmon, and bass. The options are endless, and there's so much to explore on Lake Erie. Knowledgeable and friendly fishing guides are eager to serve you. Whether you want to hire a charter, secure a seat on a headboat, fish from the shore, ice fish, or do a DIY trip on your own boat, all these options are at your disposal with a bit of planning and preparation. Find everything you need at powderhook.com. That's powderhook.com. We know what's biting and can help you enjoy a wonderful fishing experience on Lake Erie. Hey, it's Captain Justin Leet with Chasing the Sun TV. Join me and Meredith for the best fishing action along the coast of Panama City Beach. Tune in to new episodes every Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. River Atch, you are listening to the River Certified Podcast with Spencer Bow and Ryan Tassler and an array of guests where we cover the fun, interesting, and sometimes rugged parts of spending life on or near the water. I just want to really emphasize my amazement because, like I said earlier to Nick, that you guys are genuine craftsmen. Craftsmen? Yeah, you guys <laughs> actually pay attention to detail. That's a foreign concept to me. Like, I just roll with stuff, and what comes of it comes of it. And you guys are like, well, that's not good enough. I'm going to make it better. I, I strangely appreciate that. Thank you. I, I also uh, appreciate that. The thing is, if it's not perfect, I'm not going to post a picture of it on Instagram or, you know, it's just going to be something we fish with. And Does it have with- to be perfect, though? Yes. Like, what makes the lure good enough? Because no, there's so there's no such thing as perfect. What makes lure good enough? Unique. Yes, it's like something people haven't seen before, and it's. Yeah. But I've seen a lot of unique crap. Yeah, yeah. Every morning. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously though, like there's, nothing's perfect. A lot of things are unique. So what makes you say, yeah, I'm gonna roll with that one? So you just have to like tickle the right spot, and if it does, like, what is the right spot? Yeah, if it's, you're sorry, go ahead, Nick. It's when you pull it out of the mold, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, this is awesome!" But you're talking perception things. Is there anything like quantifiable where you can say like definitively, if anybody looked at that, they're gonna say that's that's it? You, you know, I think you add it all up in your head. You like you're familiar with the bait making world, so you know what people are making. You know what people have made recently and in the past and stuff. It's like, oh. This is new. This looks really good, kind of thing. Not that's the quantifiable aspect of it. I think it's just it's going to look good because you're familiar with all the other baits out there. I suppose. But. So it's got to be different. It's got to pop. Yeah. It's got to have something that makes it stand out, but yet look like a bait fish. <laughs> so it's got to be different, unique, stand out, but look like something that's been on our planet for thousands of years. That fish are you seeding? Yes. You got it. You're asking for a lot. All right, real question. Like, 
and I don't know how much thought you put into this. If you had to put a number on how many single baits, hard baits, soft baits, some category of baits I'm not even aware of, just the number of baits that you create in a calendar year. And I know every year varies, but if you're like, yeah, last year I made about this many baits. Marlon, you first. Uh, I'll add it up. Uh, maybe once a week I make a hard bait on average throughout the year. So we're up to 52. Yep. And then every other day I'm out here. And then the average amount that I make about every other day in this shop would be two dozen, a couple dozen probably. So a dozen a day you're looking at. Because sometimes I pour one bait when I'm here and then other times I shoot 50 when I'm here. So. And that's like the <laughs> Epic Bait Mold's 1.25 ice spike, that mold shoots 40 at a time. Yeah. So, so it's it's tough to... It's a big number, but it's four, tough to figure it out. 4,380? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, approximately. There was, <laughs> there was one time a few weeks back that I went live on Instagram and I shot um, 2,150 baits in two hours. Individual ice baits. In 20, two hours. So that's 2,150. <laughs> and I did that in two hours just to see if I could. I had, I think it was six molds. Going at one time. Yeah. Yeah. Holy and God. they were all just solid colors. No no laminates, no anything. So that that's so hard. There's much more impressive stuff out there, though. Like yes. people who have the shooting star injection machines and stuff, and it's just thousands of baits a day every day. Like, What's a shooting star injection mold? I'm not sure injector. if it's automated or it's a, if it's manual. I don't know enough about it to be like saying things about it, but I'm going to say some things about it. Uh, it's a big machine that costs a lot of money that keeps the hot plastic hot, and mm-hmm. it keeps your injectors hot, too. So you don't have to clean clean out injectors. You can just keep shooting the same color over and over and over again, and it, you can make so many more baits so much more faster. So, so I think we can, with with all of that and the, the, the fluff mixed in, we can conservatively say that you guys are making a minimum of 10,000 baits a year. Bare minimum. Probably. Probably. Maybe closer to... 20,000. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and just like Marling said, there are times that I'm out here for four hours or five hours making one bait. Right, but we're we're averaging things out, yeah. you know. And if you're wondering why it's echoey, we're, we're out here in Nick's garage. Uh, in the bait cave. The bait cave. Yeah. And I wish I could paint you a picture, but it's pretty spectacular. <laughs> There's so much fishiness going on here. It even smells like fish right now. It does. We just ended up, uh, we went fishing today and fried up a bunch of bluegills and bass and one bullhead, courtesy of Nate, the first bullhead I've ever seen pulled through the ice. And it wasn't as spectacular as perhaps I imagined in my mind. Just providing for my friends, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the only reason it wasn't as spectacular is because I was like zoning off, daydreaming. And then I hear... Nate say, uh, hey, I caught a bullhead. <laughs> and I look over, and sure, sure enough, there was a bullhead that came out of this hole in the ice. That was Spencer's goal, but I, I stole it from him and made it work. <laughs> no, I guided him to it. I drilled that oh. hole for him. He can thank me. He won't, but um, he, no, he, won't. he can't. <laughs> how did, sorry, so how did you guys end up getting into this? Like, all right, so I've background i i used to build rods and i still do occasionally but there was a while where i was just like 
ate up with it. You know, I, I was like tearing the fishing rods that I'd purchased down to bare blanks just so I could build them back up again the wow. way I wanted. And, and um, I get the whole DIY, like make it the way you want it because nothing out there is the way you want it. Nothing out there is good enough. Um, I got into it because of that mindset and I saw other people who had built rods and then I bought a Penn Senator 16 odd, which if you've ever seen Jaws, Captain, Captain Quint drops that Penn Senator 16. That's the real Captain Quint's using off Jaws. I bought one of them, a junker, rebuilt it, and I needed a rod for it. And every rod that I thought was up to snuff was like $800. And as a college kid, I'm like, uh, there's no way I can afford that. But I could buy an unlimited class Calstar fiberglass blank for 150 bucks and build that. And it took me forever. That was the first rod I ever built. And that was the purpose behind it. And as soon as I did it, I like fell in love. I'm like, I need to do this all the time. So that's my story for rod building. But how did you guys get into the lure crafting hobby slash business? I got to think about that. You answer first, Nick. Actually, before Nate and I met, <clears throat> I dabbled. I had a few... Uh, do it molds and you know i i was doing the green senko thing with red flake and green flake and doing what every beginner bait maker makes and then i was watching marling's videos and stuff looked super familiar with the places he was fishing and the backgrounds and some of his videos and i realized wow i drive past that every day on my way to work and then for some reason like we were talking about on the way to the fishing trip or fishing today um the stars and the moon and the sun aligned for some reason my wife picked up my kids from daycare and so i just went straight home and drove past and i saw nate and his wife out building a fence and I was like, and it was destiny. I have to stop. I shouldn't, but I have to. And I, I stopped in a no parking zone, right by his house. And it tried to murder up. me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I walked Best up. Friend sense. <laughs> and I said, uh, uh, "Are you Marlene Bates?" Yes. And I said, "I have a lot of places to fish. I'm sorry to wig you out by coming upon you like this, but uh, you know, I, I also." make my own baits and i i had a single mold and a creature mold and i was dabbling in the the hard bait thing and you know this and that went on and he gave me his phone number and the the prefix of the phone number i'm like nah he gave me a bogus phone number so uh it was like a week or two later we went fishing and um you know it was it was kind of cool it was awkward <laughs> yeah <laughs> well but, we were just like trying to catch fish hardcore that day too i just made that crawfish lure yeah and yeah i had something on big on that bait. giant that pond, yeah and i lost it and everything and i was mad and, yeah and then a few weeks after that my brother-in-law jason uh him and i were making a hard bait and we're like or we were talking about making it when I was at work and I'm like, I'm going to text Marling, see if he wants to hang out. We're, we're less than a mile away. Let's see what he wants to do. 
and I text him, and Marling texts me back saying, "Yeah, sounds fun," and he showed up, and it, and me and Jason looked at each other like, oh, "Marling Bates is in my shop right now," and then. That was weird. <laughs> you know, it was a little weird. It was weird when they both like synchronizedly said that, and, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we we dabbled with the hard baits for a while. But then I'm more I'm more of a soft plastic guy, and then all of a sudden, kabam! It was like uh, Marling was hand carving stuff and making molds, and like so you still haven't talked about how you got into making baits. <laughs> <laughs> They're too expensive to buy. Well, I can get on board with that. How you're making baits, like the do it molds, and like wh- no, where no, you started no. With like what, what, what propelled you to even begin making baits? If I can do it myself, I want to. I get on. All right. Well, and you're a mechanic by no. trade too. No, this no. All right. Makes sorry, I'm a not machinist. A, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry, my bad. You're not repairing things. You're making them. Yes. Yeah, big difference. Kind of like these lures, you know, to a, a wide degree. Um, we could make the argument that Jason's the one who's actually making them, but. Uh, do you want me to kick you in the shin? You're just a little bit farther away. I mean, you do whatever you feel like you have to. <laughs> I'm pretty durable and sturdy, so I, I can handle it. But no, what. what Actually, 100%, what made me start making my own stuff was. Um, I got an OWI, and I had a bunch of friends that didn't want to hang out anymore because they didn't have a license. Mm-hmm. So I went to Marion Life Bait when they were open, and they had a whole wall, a giant wall of do-it molds. Yeah. And I had a whole bunch of lead that I had no idea what I... I, I didn't even know you'd make your own stuff. So I went in there, and I bought a few molds... And I started making my own sinkers. And after my friends realized that I was making my own sinkers, they wanted to be friends with me again. Yeah. So that that was the beginning, and that was around 2005. So you've been doing it for a long time. I've been melting lead for a long time. Okay. I've been doing um, soft plastics for about four or five years now. It's still a while. You're you're not a spring chicken by <laughs> any means. How about you, Nate? Ah, uh, started making baits. I wanted to make candles first. If you believe that, I don't. What did I? What? Why? No, why candles? It was soap. This is a hard. That's a fuzzy period of my life for some reason. But it was a. At first, it was soap, and then I was literally going out to the woods and like looking for different. Uh, plants and stuff that why, have the why? different scents and stuff that I can use for the soaps. Why and soap? Like, you just wanted to make something and soap was, like, the, the vessel to making something? Or you Yeah, just... you hit that point in your life It's and, like, you make that decision. I'm just going to, like, make stuff with my own hands and sell it to make money, you know? And then it's I, just... You know, actually, I kind of do know. Believe it or not, my, my wife is not the to make it commercial where she's going to sell it. But she brings up making her own stuff all the time. Yeah. Making her own soap, making candles, making just practical things that she could use. Yeah, some people just have that. They yeah, that. I, I, I see it. So what I'm saying is it, I'm like following what you're saying. For instance gotcha. here, I make my own charcoal for you grilling. Do? Yeah. You know, that that's actually more common than I thought. <laughs> if I've I can ne- make it myself, I'm going to. I, and that's super admirable. And that's 
part of the things that like meeting you guys and knowing what you do, I think that's super sweet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like way cool. But yeah, I suppose I was just looking for stuff to do, and I didn't know I wanted to make lures at first, but I was a ridiculously devoted fisherman at that point in my life at that time. And it's like, you know, people would tell you, don't get into, uh, don't try to make money off of your passion in life or your, what you want to just be a hobby and what you want to just have fun with and stuff. But I think that's BS. Like, I think you should, whatever you like, try to make, well, sometimes you can't make things and sell them, but you know, I don't want to give a huge, like little motivational spiel here. Well, all right. So I totally hear what you're saying. And the people who say what you just said are people that I don't necessarily look up to. Yeah. They're people who are just downers. Yeah. Who are negative overall. So I totally hear what you're saying. I think it's a good message. But so. yeah, eventually just lure making, it came into the cycle and it's like, let's see if this a try too. And it's, it was the funnest thing I've ever done by far. And I just kept doing it and doing it and doing it. And so I was just searching for something to do really. And then I landed on lure making. That's cool. So what do you, what was your fishing? You said you're a devoted fisherman then. Where, where were you fishing at and fishing just a, for? Uh, beating up if, farm ponds? If you, if you call a kid rift raft, is that derogatory? Like... I mean, you could probably say any terminology directed at a group of people is derogatory. Well, I was one of the groups context. of people on the riverbank under the 5-in-1 dam in Cedar Rapids, constantly there, and called those people Rift Raft, <laughs> and uh, we caught fish there, and like ev- almost every other day I was there, and uh, catfishing, walleye, bass, smallmouth, everything, just caught it all. Well, honestly, like this area of is awesome for a variety of different fisheries and the fact that you guys get the opportunity to take advantage of it's pretty sweet so there's a lot here yeah um so just spinning off of that though where did the idea of making videos of of lures come from (laughs) oh man long silence give me a sec here like i can think or i'll fill it in with my thing about where my idea of making videos came from uh my wife then girlfriend maybe fiance was asking me at the time what i wanted for a present Mm -hmm. and i thought deeply for about 15 seconds because that's all i'm really capable of and But a thought came through my head and maybe i was watching a fishing video at the time and i went back to one of my three life or three childhood dreams one of them was to have my own fishing show so i said you could get me an action cam and i went and did a little research on what action camera to get and she bought me one and then she bought it for me and i was thinking well she spent some money on this thing and at the t- at current currently the amount of money for an action camera seems pretty expensive at the time it seemed outrageously expensive, so I was like, i got to use this thing. You're obliged now. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm glad I felt that way because it's been a lot of fun making fishing videos since. But um, she asked me what to get. I told her camera. She got my camera. I used it, edited some video, and it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah. And then I've just kept doing it ever since and doing, done it more and more and more and more. Okay. Yeah, I hear what you're asking then because at the time I was – starting my youtube channel my first videos on youtube are privatized it's just lure actions it's it's test footage of lure actions is all it is Mm -hmm. and just i was using that and embedding it in different forms to sell the lure because i'm showing the action of the lure you know Mm -hmm. so put it on youtube first embed it in different places so i can do that and then uh what's the next one after that 
Didn't you say that um, when you were selling on eBay that people wanted to see the action of the bait? So that's yeah. kind of something you would upload it and yeah. they could see it? I would do all that so it could sell for <clears throat> like 12 bucks on eBay. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, then I just straight up made a bait making video. Like I, like I had Chelsea helping me too. She had the camera. Uh, the first one was molding a deep diving crankbait, something like that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was, it's a pathetic video and it doesn't really go into depth on anything. I'm not talking and it's all fuzzy and not focused and yeah, but it's, I don't know why I made that video. One sec. So you, you wanted to dive into these lure action videos and then this first lure making video for business options. Because didn't you say like you kind of dove into that after college? Yeah, and I kind of just gave up on the... Uh, I think there was a point I reached where I just completely gave up on the lure selling and I'm just going to be full-time YouTube. I knew you could make YouTube... or I, I knew you could make money doing YouTube. And I'm like, well, I'm getting pennies for these baits. And it's like people do like to see people make stuff on YouTube, so maybe I can make that work, you know? Mm-hmm. And I just went all that way. So was your original intention to make lures and sell them in for yeah my whole life yeah that was the original intention yep well what led to that didn't you already ask me that no I asked what led to the video what led to the <laughs> the lure making itself like that's, for a business a I guess point. yeah uh, wow I don't think I've ever asked you that question what led to the lure making itself for the business yeah. I mean, I'm trying to put together a progression here, at least in, in my mind. I'm trying to paint a picture story. Yeah. Uh, it just ended up being a very, very appropriate thing for me to do. I really enjoyed just making lures to sell them. Mm-hmm. And I started all that initially because of that. And then it's, then it's just the most enjoyable thing, and I just kept doing it. I, so it just went from, I'm going to make some lures, then I'm going to make some lures and sell them. And then I'm going to make this lure video to help me sell them. Yeah, like I was trying to sell soap. I was trying to sell candles and make these things and sell them. Right. I was working as a lifeguard at the YMCA. And I would sit in the lifeguard stand and stare at the water and be like, dude, I could like be making something. And instead of getting $7 an hour sitting in this chair, I could probably sell like a basket of soap for 25 bucks. <laughs> you know? That thought went through my head. I'm like, what am I doing? It's not, not, not inaccurate. Yeah. Bit. It was seven bucks an hour. It's garbage. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But it's up, it's up to eight dollars now. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I think minimum wage might have jumped even higher. Oh yeah, now it's like I don't watch the news. I don't. Fifteen hundred bucks or something. Something. Like that. <laughs> but anyway, like that—that's an act. I mean, I I totally get where your head's coming from. Nate, I'm going to ask you something. Yeah. Do you remember the first fish you caught on your first bait that you handmade? Ooh. The first fish that I saw caught on a hand bait, it was in real life. Chelsea caught it, my wife. And it was a like a over 30-inch pike out of the river. Really? And it was a uh, deep-diving crankbait with a double twister grub tail off the back. And it was it would, it would like stand up in the water, like nose down, ass up with like the it looked like a craw moving through the water like that. And it was just I don't know. We saw that pike. It was in the middle of winter. It was like this time one year. No kidding. Yeah, we were out at Palisades, and it, that was weird. I wasn't expecting a single thing to bite, but a big pike did. 
Well, if anything's going to bite that's big this time of year in open water, it's going to be a, a yeah. northern. Do you know? Do you know the biggest fish that's ever been caught on either one of your baits? I think a tuna, or something. It, a lot of people used to buy my baits for uh, deep sea fish, offshore deep sea fishing and stuff, uh, trolling. I don't know what the biggest fish would be, but there's thousands of my baits out there, and it's got to be something like I, that. I can't pinpoint. Well, how about let's just take a step back and say, what's the biggest fish that you two know of that were caught on baits that you made? I know a guy sent me a picture of a Wells catfish that he caught That's on one so of my... Cool. It was a little lipless crankbait that I gave him. It was in his mouth, and like he had his hand in his mouth and everything. Well, we were talking earlier about... We were, weren't we, Nick, about um, the throwing lures at Wells Catfish? You, or did you bring that up, Nate? What yeah, a, Nate. Did I? What do no. you What do you two did? Where were you talking about? Maybe it was Cole. Oh, I think well, it was Cole. Wells Catfish. Yeah. My brother Cole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He asked if I'd seen any videos of people in Europe catching Wells Catfish on, on lures. <laughs> and yes, I have. And yes, I drool every time. <laughs> every time I watch one of those, uh, biggest fish. I I can't tell you the biggest fish I've caught on one of my baits that I made and I fished with five point nine four. That was the biggest fish last year on a trout worm that he caught on a three inch. Trout worm, yeah. Just the most pathetic little bait you could ever imagine. Yeah, we were crappie fishing. (laughs) We were crappie fishing at Jesse's Pond. (laughs) I whacked that thing. And you caught a six-pound crappie. (laughs) 5.94 bass. That's pretty nice bass. Yeah. Yeah, it was bigger than last year. I told you you have a nice bass. (laughs) So do do you guys do any fishing? Other than the videos that you shoot where you make a lure and then go fishing. Yeah, we fish a lot. Probably half of the fishing of the year I don't have the camera with me. That's such a foreign concept to me anymore. (laughs) Like, I cannot remember the last time I went fishing without cameras. Really? Really. Well, I I think it's funny um, you say that because when Nate and I first started fishing together, he always had his camera on him, but... He would be like 10 or 15 yards away, and I can hear him talking, and I'm the guy in the background going, what? Because I think he's talking to me, right. but he's actually just talking to the camera, you know, the, the audience. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I kept, yeah, yeah, once in a while in the background, you can hear me going, what'd you say? <laughs> I, I, so. I totally get that. <laughs> so the weirdest thing, or not the weirdest thing, there's a lot of things way weirder than this. But I've had the opportunity to go fishing with a bunch of people who make fishing videos. And lots of times it's a lot of people making fishing videos together at the same time. And you don't know who's talking to who at times and who's talking to their camera. And it makes for really semi-awkward situations. Like there was one instance where we had uh, four different dudes filming a video at the same time. Whoa. Yeah, and then you'd have people poking cameras all over the place, and yeah, it was just kind of different. Ice fishing? No, we were fishing all in the same boat. Oh, jeez. Oh, okay. goodness. So, I mean, it's basically the equivalent of fishing in an ice hut. You know, yeah. you're all concentrated in one area, but it, it was very uh, 
different than any fishing experience that I was used to. Was it bad? I I don't know. Was it good? I wouldn't out come out and say like, yeah, it was definitely a good thing. But I can say definitively, it was just different. Yep. And I don't <laughs> know if I liked it. I don't know if. Uh, oh, sorry, that's an inappropriate joke for a podcast. <laughs> inappropriate jokes are always welcome. Okay, here's a question for you guys. I'm talk about rubbing junk or something. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. I, un- I don't see the connection there, but you oh, can sorry. explain. How <laughs> uncomfortable do GoPros get? Like a chest mount, like when you're trying to cast and fish all day. Is it just feel like something's pulling on you all day long? No. I I wore a GoPro once. Um, Marling had me put one on. I didn't like it. I totally see where you're coming from. Uh, it's gotten to the point where I don't really notice it that much, but I make a point to make mine super stretchy. Mm. You know, I don't want to be constricted. Um, it's kind of, it is a relief to take it off at the end of whenever I'm fishing. I'm always trying to come up with a better way, but as far as mixing audio and video together, I can't think of a more efficient method for doing that than oh, just yeah. strapping a GoPro on your chest. Like ND Yak Fisherman, is that right? Oh, that puts it on his head? Yeah, he puts it on his, on his hat, I yeah. believe. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that be more comfortable, or is it just so much weight like pulling down on your hat? That's I, more uncomfortable, in my opinion. I've done that before in a kayak, and it's just... Maybe I don't have it set up right or something, but yeah, having something off the front of your head all day is very annoying. Okay. I could imagine. Um, I'm so darty and inconsistent that the footage from a hat camera for me... <laughs> like a dog. Well, I'm so ADHD that I'm literally all over the place, and a chest cam kind of stays in one spot, but my head is like looking around all over the place all the time. So the, gotcha. the footage from that looks terrible, and then the other side of it is if I'm in a public place... I'm wearing a, a GoPro on my head. I just feel like <laughs> such a dork. At least if you're wearing it on your chest, it kind of blends in. Oh, I thought that makes you cool. Dang it. <laughs> Sorry to wreck your world there, but but no. Well, maybe I mean some maybe in some people's eyes it makes you cool, but in my eyes it's I'm just imagining myself and how I look wearing it and mm-hmm. I'm not not too uh, impressed. Mm. Yeah, I've taken my GoPro off and it's like I know what Chelsea feels. Well, I shouldn't talk about my wife. <laughs> like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's like a woman taking off her bra. It's like, it feels good to take that off, you know? That's probably well, all it is. It's not that uncomfortable. Well, Nate, we, we've been fishing in the, in the summertime, <laughs> and you'll take it off, and there's, like, sweat lines. You can tell right exactly a, where it was. I'm an extremely sweaty person. Oh, I got you beat. I always have an ass sweat going in the summer, <laughs> no matter what. He didn't say a bad word. It was just an, a sweat. Yes, that is one word. <laughs> it's a wrestling terminology. Got my sweat going. <laughs> Must be an eastern, eastern Iowa thing. Yeah, it's, that's how you know you're warmed up appropriately, is there's enough back there. On this side of the Mississippi. Yeah. Just barely on this side of the Mississippi. <laughs> Spencer, today was your first day of making baits. You're now a professional. Yep, license. What did you think? Did you think it was harder than it was or easier than, I mean... Dude, I, I'm really good at making simple things difficult. <laughs> and, and a lot of it boils down to familiarity. Like, I am 100% unfamiliar with... Um, oh, your heater just turned off. Yeah. 
We're out of gas. We're running buddy heaters to stay warm out in this garage right now. <laughs> we turned off the uh, original heat source because the fan was too loud. Yeah, it's all about production quality. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what I was getting at was uh, it's just I'm super unfamiliar with it. You know, it's something I've never done before or even anything remotely close. Like I have no connection I can make. Like this is similar to this, so I can revert back to this prior style of thinking and then apply that knowledge to what I'm doing now. Like it was literally, I have no idea but what I'm doing. And was it was it easier or harder than you thought it would be? I don't put much thought into anything. Maybe you should. I, you're absolutely right, but that requires time, which I'm limited on. Dude, you're like doing a podcast and everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a doer. You yeah. know, I'm not like I, I try to think through situations, do the best I can. But at the end of the day, I just try to do as much as I can. And um, I did this. I was unfamiliar with it. I made it work, and I made some baits, and they ended up coming out at least up good enough for my standards. Of what I think a bait should look like, and no, the the standards were up there, and well, but to me, the biggest thing is, are they going to catch some fish? And they did, yeah, they caught some fish, so I'm pretty happy. I, I made a bait, uh, learned some stuff, caught some fish, and learned something. He did a one day, yeah, that was an official one day. Well, the catch, it was well, like one hour. Yeah, yeah, beats me. <laughs> Let, let's hear it. One day. Ah. <laughs> I'm nervous. Everybody's got headphones on. I'm going to blow out the audio. Spencer. <laughs> what Nick already blew out the audio. Yeah. The best part of you blowing out the audio is you were trying to imply that you were so far away and hard to hear. And then you're just like, bam. What? <laughs> Don't worry. I can tweak those levels. Oh, good. So do you guys still hit the river very much? Or are you mostly hitting farm ponds and stuff? I'll hit the river. I go to the backwaters for pike all the time out of the rivers around here. There was two times, two times last year that I fished without marling, and every other time that we fished, it was farm ponds. So usually if I'm going fishing, I'll be like, hey man, I'm going fishing on Saturday, you want to go? And he's like, yep, I'll be there. But otherwise... Yeah, Nick's definitely a farm pond fisherman. I have hit this today was the second farm pond I fished this winter and these are the first farm ponds I've fished for anything other than bait. Yep. In literally four years. Oh man. I've fished two farm ponds in the last four years. Some people are just that way, it's okay. <laughs> what the hell is that <laughs> supposed to mean? <laughs> you want me to get truck started for you? <laughs> Well, I'm not going to tell you no when it's negative 15 out or whatever the hell it is. <laughs> I, don't, I don't care what I'm fishing, what body of water I'm fishing, really. I, I don't either. Um, I mean, it is cool to fish a river and get a good fish out of a river because it's like, it's a natural body of water and nature developed everything that's in there, not humans. And, you know, it's cool. But, and, and some of the ponds we fish are not fed with pellets or anything like that like today if we go to that pond in the summer you know bass fishing crappie fishing bluegill fishing whatever those fish hit 20 times harder than you would ever imagine oh it's, yeah it's it's insane you can breed or develop some extremely aggressive fish in a pond yeah like, they're, they're I, I don't know how they do it. They're just pissed off all the time, and they just want to... <laughs> They're hungry. Like, this is a certain breed, probably. But 
they're hungry, but they're fed well because they're all fat. They're all, you know. Yep. Pond management's huge. It's a that, big. That's one interesting thing, too, is in a smaller body of water, what we were talking about that earlier today is essentially you can manage it for whatever you want. Yeah. And you get out of it what you put into it, but you have total control yeah. over every single aspect of it. Like you could design a pond to be great for panfish, you could design a pond to be great for bass, catfish, or you could add, well, I, I think of them as exotics, you know, like mm-hmm. your non pond standards. Like there's a, a, a pond management group, and I just kind of drool over some of the pictures that they post on their Facebook page of these giant hybrid stripers that they grow. In these ponds, these giant channel cats that they're growing in these ponds. And it's a cool concept, you know, and and you get out of it what you put into it. And a lot of guys have uh, a lot of pride in the way that they construct a pond, which is if I was in their shoes, I'd feel the same way. And there's a lot of guys that have a lot of uneducated thoughts about, you know, if you catch this, this... if you catch a bass, you got to put it back. Well, every bass we catch is nine or ten inches long. Mm-hmm. Okay, why are they that way? <laughs> why are yeah? You need to get. Ri- but that's just managing for size. Yeah, maybe, maybe they do want just a bunch of little nine-inch bass in their pond. <laughs> Good for them. Some. That's that's one of the interesting parts about ponds is. Human influence as far as removal or non-removal of a species, a particular species, can be so influential on a positive level or a negative level, and you have total control of that, which some people take advantage of that in a positive way, in an educated way, and some people don't. But at the end of the day, it's your property, and you can treat it how you want. You know, Get off my property. Exactly. Get off my lawn. <laughs> but, yeah, the uh, hybrid striper bass out of a farm pond that's freaking off what's the name of the uh, facebook group you're looking at i honestly don't remember uh, well the bj pond guy that i uh kevin that i it was somebody in like i think illinois or indiana oh okay well this dude he puts hybrid wiper pretty much in his ponds yeah he put he's put tiger musky in a pond before and they did well and yeah you can do anything it's insane perch trout you can have some exotic species it's fun I want to do that someday. Exotics in quotation marks. But yeah, from a pond I, standard, they're very I want exotic. to have a pond that's got like perch. Yeah. Like actual perch. That's the most common non-normal pond fish that I hear about. People say they want perch out of a pond. And to tell you the truth, interesting, fun fact, the biggest perch I've ever caught in my life was the very first part perch I ever caught in my life. And it came out of a far pond. Mm. How big? Uh, I, I think like twelve or thirteen. Oh man! Release to the grease. I uh, I think I let him go into the water. Mm. Yeah, that works too. I didn't catch a fi- another fish. I didn't have electronics. I didn't Maybe have- you would have caught another fish if you would have put that in your bucket and ate it. What's your logic behind that? that? Makes no sense. Yeah, <laughs> other fish would have been hey. Hey, where's Billy? Where's Billy the perch? And they would have come up and, oh, there's a snack. You could put another one in your bucket. It's as good a fishing logic as I've ever heard. <laughs> it's great eating logic. Yeah. And I could get on board with that. It's not hard. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to be me to understand this stuff. That's fair. <laughs> just be the bush. 
What? This this pond was super cool. It was a, a pond my parents used to live on, and it had perch. Here in Iowa? Yes, okay. southern Iowa. Okay. And so not where you guys are at, but it had perch, it had bluegill, it had crappie, it had bass, it had catfish, it had muskies, it had walleyes. Wow. Must have been deep. Uh, 30, 30, 35 feet. Okay. It, I think it was probably a seven or eight acre pond. Oh, okay. So there was a pretty diverse habitat that could support fishable populations of all those things. But there's lots of ponds that have similar characteristics that people don't stock those fish into. And to be able to fish this pond that had all those things was pretty cool. And now they don't live there anymore. <laughs> I had a good run. <laughs> No, that's the worst when you don't own it. <laughs> yeah, it was an association pond. Oh, okay. Yeah, they oh. just owned a house uh, uh, close to it, so I got to fish it. And then they moved, so no more. <laughs> Look like you're deep in thought there, Nick. Do you have any baits you guys are like super excited to make? Oh, I got a lot. I don't. I, you don't have to let in on any uh, exciting secrets you're bringing out, but just like. Is there anything you're pumped about? Uh, what brought about that? Those ideas, and where, where, what are you hoping to do with them? For me, pretty much just getting hard baits to come out of aluminum molds. I'm the most excited about right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Is that? Like, but that's like that's resin. Bait. Yeah, that's epic bait mold stuff. Is that the idea that you're just going to make hard baits at a faster rate? Uh, it's. Uh, it's so you can buy the mold and the resin. And you don't have to buy the lure blank okay. to paint. A lot of people buy lure blanks to paint. And then if you can have the mold, pour your own resin and have your own bait that you made. And you can adjust the things like the, the buoyancy of the resin, how much weight you put in it, uh, everything about the bait because you're making it. And then uh, it's more personalized and uh, you're fishing with less cheap of stuff. Some of those lure blanks are so cheap and such a crappy lure that they mass produce and sell for people to paint it's insane some of those you can get you can buy five blanks you know buy a five pack of blanks and, and just, all five of them are going to run different and just for the record a blank is like a body of a lure that you can purchase and then add, paint and add on whatever you think is appropriate but yeah quality control i could see being a big issue with those yeah just giving the people the means to make their own blank as well as they need to make it you know that's pretty cool but for a, like a wooden bait that I'm making, that's just right off the top of my head. I don't even, I don't think about that much. It's just right off the top of my head what I want to make today. Make it. Go catch fish. That's about it. You going to make uh, any bigger world's biggest swim baits? Probably. <laughs> you mean like, oh, like the most expensive swim bait series? Oh, you made, yeah, you made the most expensive. Yeah. But there, uh, I saw expensive and then I just saw size. Yeah, went along with it is like real. the more expensive is just bigger, which is insane because it is so much harder to make a two inch lure than it is an eight inch lure, way harder. Yeah, but the more material cost, but that doesn't matter. It's like a penny more <laughs> than wood, you know. Yeah, that's true. It's just so much like you have to concentrate harder and do such more meticulous work if you want to make a really clean two inch lure compared to an eight inch one. Yeah, I'm not good at making small stuff. When it comes to bucktails and flies and stuff like that, I, I like big, gaudy-looking streamers. Mm-hmm. Like big two- to four-inch you know, bundles of hair that are easy to tie together. <laughs> like A-thread? No, I'm going to use D-thread. I want that big, thick, coarse stuff. Yeah, you make know? sure it don't come off. Exactly. 
How about you, Nick? You got anything in the in the gauntlet coming through? I've uh, got a couple things I can't talk about. Well, you can talk about what brought them about. Getting complicated again. Epic bait molds and marling baits. But what's the so every every um, innovation is a result of a problem or something that can be improved. Okay, I I do have something I can talk about. I've uh, uh, unicorn god fishing. I've been talking to her. She's from Australia. Her name's Jess. Did she ever tell you where her name came from? Yes, she did. All right, enlighten her, us. Her her brother um was obsessed with unicorns. Okay, and he decided to um become a priest. No, he decided to take his own life. Oh, oh, jeez. <laughs> now I'm a, the asshole. <laughs> and that that was not meant to be funny, but he had a a tattoo that said unicorn god. You know, whatever. Yeah. But Jess, what an outstanding girl. She's shooting bait, she's making all this stuff. But um hey, I'm going to take my headphones off for a second. Take them off. And Sorry. I'm going to hand you this bait, and if you can see the holographic... I saw it as stuff. you walked over. Yeah. I'm... So what? what's the significance of the holograph? It, to me, looking at this, it seems like um, probably triple-injected mold with... That's a hand-pour mold. Okay. Um, so it seems to me like I don't know what I'm talking about. So I'll let you continue talking. So if you use a owner beast hook with that it's going to have a belly wobble along with a tail wobble so that okay. that holographic film is going to catch light from a whole bunch of different directions right so you have this piece of well is this like a, a piece of foil essentially inside of it that's what we're working on okay so you're working on something to create a more reflective lure. Yes. That's a hand pour. Yes. Okay. All right, we got a heater hookup break. Hook up the propane to that one? Yep, we'll give her a shot. Oh, boy. I thought about getting rid of that heater because I wanted a bigger one. But after seeing you mess with that big one for 10 minutes, I think I'll keep that one around forever. <laughs> I love those. Just a simple buddy heaters. Old reliable. Well, I'm, I'm all about reliable. That's one thing I like about a kayak. Just oh. freaking reliable. Dude, I left mine out this winter. I, so? didn't, I never put it away. It had water in the bottom. And it froze. The... the, the Freezing temperatures snuck on, snuck up on me real quick, and it. I don't know if it's. Can you have water in your kayak and freeze over winter, and it's fine? Probably. Okay. Good. That's that's the honestly that's that's the answer. Oh. Probably. Okay. You I'm could get out there and the possibly of that run and... into an issue, but <laughs> probably ninety nine percent of the time you'll be just fine. Okay. Good. And that's so, one. It's thing. a lifetime kayak, so. It's made out of plastic, it's real sturdy. <laughs> That's some marketing thoughts into that name. 
What's your guys' favorite kind of fishing? Like species or situation? I know we talked about farm pond fishing a lot, but like if you could only do one fish for one species or fish in one way, what are you doing? I love uh, vertically jigging below dams for sure. walleyes. Yeah. That's fun. Real heavy current, real heavy, like, lead baits, like 5 8 You're thinking, or, like, the Mississippi-type stuff? Have yeah. Those big dams? Yeah. I really love bouncing hair jigs tipped with a, a minnow. Mm-hmm. That's really fun when you're bouncing, 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 and all of a sudden you lift, and it feels like a rock, but it's actually a fish. Sure. And kabam. I've never done that. That's totally foreign to me. Like I fish for walleyes below dams, but I never had the opportunity to uh, sit right on top of them in a boat. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah, I'm in the creeks, just smallmouth fishing in the creeks. I'm actually walking them and like going five miles, well, not five, but like two miles in a creek and just walking through it. Yeah, I, I lived by the most perfect creek to do that for a long time. So mm-hmm. the Indian Creek here, and yeah, that's my favorite because. I know it once in a while you can get a decent pike out of there, mm-hmm. like a 30 plus inch pike, and that's extremely exciting. But most of the time, the smallmouth are just so aggressive and it's so reliable and it's so fun because you can, you know, they're in the spot, you cast in the perfect spot, and you're, you're like 20 yards away, perfect cast, and get the hit. And I don't, it's just really satisfying for me. You ever try to catch catfish out of those little creeks? Yeah, it's easy, definitely. It's fun, yeah. There's walleye in those creeks. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's awesome that the different species come up the streams and you can go, you, like, you can kind of track it and know when they're going to be there and catch them. Yeah, that was fun, too. Um, growing up setting ditty poles, um, I grew up in a town called Anamosa that uh, there was a, it was called Buffalo Creek, and that drained into the Wapsie, and you could find those deep holes, you know, within 20, 30, 40 yards of the dump you know where it dumps into the big river and you'd set ditty poles there and it was amazing some of the big fish that were just lurking down so what's a big fish in one of them creeks oh 15 20 pounds like flatheads channel cats channel cats mostly you ever get anything weird setting ditty poles on creeks like that yes yes snakes really i've never caught a snake on a ditty pole you put a chub on one of those and with no sinker just let the chub like flop on the top of the sure, water sure it, you get a snake and it's like i'm not gonna touch it well what are you scared of snakes <laughs> <laughs> they're not it's poisonous though. it's it's not the chub on the end of the line that it, i don't care you know we're not meant to touch snakes i what do you mean not meant to i touch snakes it's just like girls and spiders with enemies he hates snakes. <laughs> That's, is that your thing? Like, the thing you hate? Like, I get it. My dad's the same way. And I'm totally opposite. I can't decide what's so- worse. Snakes or ticks? Oh. They ticks. both give me the heebie-jeebies. There's not a single person on earth that likes a tick. <laughs> but but if a tick's attached to me or crawling on me and I have to take it off of me, I'm not going to freak out. I guess. Uh, I'm not going to freak out over a snake either. But I, I, You're I not going to cuddle with him? No, I I just rather not deal with either one. No, I I hear what you're saying. I've never caught a snake on a ditty pole. I've caught herons. 
<laughs> I, I've caught. Um, how do you get heron off a ditty pole? Because they eat your fish. No your fish is. Ha- how do right, you get it but off? How do you get the hook out? We threw a, 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 a coat on top of it and like wrapped it up in the coat and then got the line as close to its bill as we possibly could and cut it. Like it was down in its throat. Oh. Can and you just, reduce yeah. the noises it was making? <laughs> could I? Yes. Am I? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. That reminds me of a story once upon a time Yeah, where I caught the most flatheads I've ever caught in one night. It, it was under the heron tree, is what I call the pterodactyl tree. And I don't know what they were doing in this tree, but all you heard was them making their pterodactyl noises yep. all hours of the night. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for me so I didn't have to. <laughs> but yeah, I proceeded to have the best night of, of catfishing, flyhead fishing that I ever had underneath the old heron tree. Really? Wow, that's a special moment. I, I don't know if there's, I don't imagine there's any correlation there, but maybe there is. Could be. I mean, the fewest, fewest flatheads, no, let me take that back. I blanked there one night. But other than that, the fewest flatheads I've caught in that spot was four. Well, the herons probably were not fornicating <laughs> at the time, and that's why you didn't catch Gosh. anything that night. <laughs> Glad you caught what I was throwing down. <laughs> yeah, I've caught uh, blue herons on day pools. I caught uh, largemouth bass. A five, like five six pound largemouth bass on a deep hole in a little creek. There you go. Five point nine four. It was it was in the that ballpark. I'm not going to say it was definitively that big, but it was in the neighborhood. And then mine was. Well, a pro- <laughs> it was approximately <laughs> five point nine four, give or take. And I had a buddy who caught a great horned owl on one. Whoa! Uh, yeah, and it. I don't know if it went for the bait. He doesn't know if it went for the bait, but it was tangled up in the line, and he had to throw a jacket on top of it, un- cut the line, untangled it, and then uh, I think he called uh, the DNR to come up and pick it up, and they picked it up for him. Hmm. Sure. As far as the outcome of that, I don't know. I know my my heron flew off, and it seemed to be doing okay. But uh, as far as the outcome of that owl, I'm not sure. And that's just, I guess, one of the unfortunate byproducts of, of fishing it you're, is what it is you remember the bait you're using for that owl i i wasn't this is my buddy oh, i wasn't buddy, there for okay. that one i have no idea the the heron ate i think a small bluegill yeah because nick's told me about some techniques for diddy pulling for catching pretty owls. much top watering like making sure it's nice and shallow and always slapping around on the surface well that's standard procedure oh okay Never yeah mind. it's not unusual to set up diddy poles with your bait flapping around on the top that was how the heron ate Ate that bluegill. It was well, flapping yeah. around. What I, I do oh, is put like a two ounce sinker, like two or three inches above the water, above the water, and then hook your bait, and then the weight like makes it go. Sure, kind of keeps in it in, in, keeps, in, in a certain area. Yeah, and I think it just irritates those fish. You know, the flatheads, mm-hmm. the channel cats, and the blues. You know. That's my claim to fame. Well, I think there's that, um, plus the fact that a bait on top creates a lot more commotion. Yeah. And the more commotion brings in larger predators, and then they're going to hit that bait more often. That's a standard practice, having your bait towards the top when you have a ditty pole. Yes. It's it's like right in front of the pole. Which is interesting because I don't know why more people don't do that, have at least a, a suspended bait when they're fishing with a rod and reel. Yeah. 
You would think. I have a video that's going to come out next year of a unique presentation that I promised a friend I would wait until they made the trip up to do it. Really? Because I had the idea uh, of the concept, but they gave me the details. Uh Uh-oh. And I told him I wouldn't, like, splurge on the details till they came up. So he has until, we'll say, June 12th. And after that, I'm gonna I'm gonna do it without him. But is that a random so, date? Yeah, I, no, it wasn't because oh. um, uh, I'll begin guiding on the 13th. Oh, there you go. Okay. So he has until I start guiding to uh, come up. So if Jason, if you're listening to this, book your book your flight from North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> so you being the big cat fisherman, do you ever um, slit the innards open to see what they're eating? Every time I keep them. I think you're crazy not to open up the stomach of a fish that you catch just to see what they eat. Me too. Um, what What was the craziest thing you've seen that they've been eating? I'll go first. Um, I was fishing right above a dam that had a bunch of barn swallows nests, you know, or mud daubers. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. And... They, the the ones that on like the bottom side of the bridges they build their nests out of mud and then they're just flying around all over yeah. the place under bridges yep. and stuff yeah and they're bumping into your lines and just going crazy yeah uh, I think um, seeing those babies were the craziest wait you found baby birds inside a catfish's stomach yes that's so cool I have a buddy so this wasn't me but my buddy Chase found two painted turtles inside the stomach of a blue cat. Really? Uh, yeah. Jeez. Out of the, I think it was the Pl- Brazos River, not the Plano River, the Brazos River down in Texas. As far as me, one thing I've noticed that was interesting, at least for flatheads, is the majority of them have nothing in their stomach. Like, the vast majority have nothing in their stomach. Um, but one, the one that really sticks out, it wasn't anything crazy like a bird, but it was a flathead that I caught it. It probably weighed about three pounds when I caught it. And I looked down its mouth and there was a tail fin sticking out of its throat. So I grabbed the tail fin and pulled it out of its stomach. And it was every bit of a one and a half pound sucker. So this is a flathead that's no joke, like 20 inches long. And then I pulled a 14 to 16 inch sucker out of its throat. I've got a picture on my phone of um fishing at the airport pond mm-hmm. and i caught i i could i was 20 yards away 30 yards away and i i kept seeing stuff blow up on the top mm-hmm. i'm like i don't know what's going on over there i couldn't see anything well then all of a sudden the birds started flying in so i went over there and i was using a uh spook yeah is there a spook yep. you know bloop 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 and I, I hooked a bait, or I hooked a fish, and I picked it up, and I looked down, and there was just feathers sticking out of its mouth. I've got a picture on my phone. So this is the, like a little fish with a bird with feathers in its mouth? It's or? a bass. It was like a pound and a half. Okay. Hang on. It's just going for those birds. That's so crazy. So you ever find anything, like weird stuff in a fish's gut or mouth? or? Something? I've never been one really to slice a fish open and look in its stomach because uh more of a lure fisherman 
and catching those kind of fish, you know. And you're not supposed to do that to those kinds of fish unless you're eating them. Well, you you eat plenty of fish, so that's pretty much it. <laughs> but but yeah. But you still get to, you could take the time to slice it open and see what's in its stomach. I used to not eat the fish I caught ever. Pretty much until I met Nick. Nick Filet over here. So when was that? Uh, two years ago. Maybe around then. Well, Brinley's two. So it, Jess was pregnant with Brinley. So a year and a half? So probably like two and a half. Oh, okay. Math. But yeah, I, I really did not do much uh, fish eating. Just did the catching, releasing, and... Just do it for the enjoyment of catching the fish. Yep. I, I totally get that. What the? All right. So what I'm looking at here, Nick showed me a picture. It's almost bizarre. It looks like a minnow, but uh, you can see the esophagus of the fish, and there's just two or three feathers poking out of its throat. That I, don't I think I sent you that. Did you? I don't remember that picture. I'm... I, I kind of hope you could you send me this picture and I'll like repost it on my stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Did you take the bird out to find out what kind it was, or you just let it go and be like, "Good job, bud." No, no. To me, that's stuck in the fish's butthole, the mouth butthole. So I'm not gonna mess with anything back there. I'll just cut the line if that was my lure or anything. So you're more noble than me. I was so like curious when I saw that tail fin poking out of that, that catfish's mouth. I had to figure out what it was, and then I pulled it out. And I know suckers are good bait, but I didn't know how prevalent they were in that, that waterway that I was fishing, and especially at the time because it was flooded. Mm-hmm. Like, absolutely bankful roaring, and then we caught this little dinky flathead right along the bank, and it came out with a big sucker down its gullet, and it just bizarre to me to see a waterway like that that they're actively feeding on a fish that you think of swimming around in clear shallow creeks yeah and it's in this giant roaring flooded river just right there and presented in a way where a flathead could take full advantage of it wow yeah it's interesting you think into those things hard (laughs) i do i do i do makes a good fisherman uh depends on the day yeah What's your so so Nate when Nick's messing with his phone and gonna send me that picture? Uh, if you could only fish for like one fish for the rest of your life, what are you fishing for? Smallmouth, like without Out a doubt, creek. like there was no hesitation. Yeah, there. That's, that's all I'd want to catch. I don't know why. I know it's not that impressive. It's not that, but I I don't know. It's not about being impressive. It's about being fun. You know, I yeah. totally see where you're coming from about how that's so much enjo- or so much enjoyable because. I grew up fishing little dinky creeks for channel cats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's it, not much I would get up for early in the morning, but I'll that. do that. Yeah. <laughs> what's What's the biggest smallmouth you've caught out of dinky Iowa creeks? Oh, I've probably gotten close to four pounds. It's not easy to catch a big smallmouth out of creeks around here. Right, and it's but, not anywhere. Like, there's yeah. nowhere you hear about people catching smallmouth out of small creek like small moving waterways were like, yeah, I catch six pounders all the time. Nobody says that. I'm a hundred percent certain it was three something. Pu- Pushing four pounds. Yeah. It's getting close to four. It was so, a great fish. That was fun. Uh, caught on a pud, the epic pud. <laughs> That's the bait name. What, uh, what's the epic pud? Like classify so, it. Open pore swim bait from epic bait molds. You so, don't have to, you don't have to show them. Nobody can see anything, but 
I want to see it. Oh, Spencer wants to see it. Ouch! <laughs> Nick's getting it. <laughs> That's the sound of Nick stubbing his toe impressively. My knee. That is a pud. It looks like a pud. It's a short stubby swim bait with a giant hammer tail. Yep, square. Yeah, big square tail. That's stuff. I can see how a big old small mouth would want to hit something like that. It's got an aggressive action. The whole thing moves. Yeah. Oh, so it like wobbles. Almost probably like jerk bait. And the head turns a little yeah. bit. Yeah. The whole thing's boop, 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 boop. Gotcha. What's your PB? <laughs> My PB small mouth? Yeah. I got back-to-back five pounders out of a uh, Lake of the Woods. Just five? Yeah. Okay. The back Just ba- five? <laughs> <laughs> back That's to crazy. But it wasn't out of a little creek. It was out of like a trophy smallmouth fishery. Oh, okay. You know, it's not... Well, what's your best out of the creek? Whatever 19 and a half inches it is. Yeah, it's hard to tell. You don't keep... Like, you don't really weigh smallmouth, do you? I don't really weigh any fish. Yeah. Like, uh, I've weighed more flatheads in the past year than I have in the, my whole life put together. I, yeah. weigh, I weighed three of them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'll weigh my bass if it's getting up there, but... Yeah, that's I've only ever weighed a largemouth, probably. My thing is, scales are just one more thing I would have to bring, and I don't even care how much they weigh anyway. You get the picture, yeah, you're fine. That's well, the fish I caught right there. Honestly, it's more the experience, and I catch fish on video and stuff, and I take cameras and stuff because I enjoy editing. If it wasn't for my enjoyment of editing and making the videos and having my own fishing show like we were talking about before, um, I wouldn't take those either because it's just more crap and it makes me less efficient and not as good of an an angler. Mm -hmm. And to me, scale, it's, I don't care how much they weigh and because I don't care how much they weigh, I just enjoy the act of pursuing and catching them. I don't take them. But now that I'll have a boat, Mm -hmm. there'll always be a scale on the boat. So Yeah. Now, if you're doing, like, a little numbers game with your buddies, you need to scale. Absolutely. We were going to do that this last year and have a big bait bonanza thing where we only fish with big baits, and then uh, whoever catches the biggest fish while they're fishing with a swim bait, that's who wins, and there's going to be, like, prizes and stuff. But That'd be fun. It didn't work. We didn't do it because Nick caught a 5.9-something pounder. 5.94. On a trout worm, and it just destroyed everything. Approximately 5.94. Yep. Exactly. <laughs> 5.94. Nick, if you, if you could fish for anything for the rest of your life and only fish for that thing for the rest of your life, what are you fishing for? Crappie. Really? Why? What is the draw of crappie to you? You can eat them? Well, you could eat anything. Right. But they're, they're so fun to catch. They're so elusive. Are they elusive? In places we go, they are. <laughs> Maybe but, to catch numbers. But you hear about dudes whack. Like I hear about dudes whacking and stacking fifty apiece. You don't hear yeah. about people whacking and stacking fifty muskies. That's elusive. I don't. I mean, I don't have any desire to fish for muskies. But the, what's the difference? Is what I'm getting at. It's like you have this scenario. You have this scenario of things. Um, what makes crappie special to you where people can like quantify what you're saying to me it's a more relatable game i get that it's something that everybody has access to yeah yeah and you have access to yeah yep um 
plus you, you know you catch a pile of them you're gonna throw them in a bucket or live well or whatever and you're gonna have a wonderful fish fry yes yeah they're mm-hmm. weird too how to catch them like sometimes you're dragging a bait on the bottom and mud's kicking up behind it and then a crappie bites or sometimes you have to suspend it under a slip bobber or they're super finicky and you Sometimes they need a tiny bait. You can catch them on a five-inch bait, though. It's, it, they're weird. Yeah, and, and the pond that we went to today, the bigger pond, uh, we were we were just having fun. And I was using a four-inch slick swim. Which that, is about a four-inch uh, minnow profile swim bait for anybody listening. Yeah, and I caught two crappies and two casts on a four-inch swim bait hooked with the jig head that's awesome. so they like engulfed the whole thing and then the next weekend jason from epic bait molds came up and i'm like well i'm gonna see if i can catch a crappie so i put the 1.7 the three inch on oh you, yeah three yeah. inch and he's like you're not gonna catch a crappie on that i went over there and kabam i hit it and then i just wanted to you know i hit a crappie on that and then he's I don't remember what he said, but then I put a 1.7 inch ice spike on, mm-hmm. on a slip bobber, and I'm working it, and I got a three pound largemouth on that, and he's got it all on camera, it's all in the video. It is kind of ironic how the crappies ate the bigger bait, and then the bigger bass ate the smaller bait. And it was just, he's like... You what? Mm-hmm. He couldn't believe that happened. And he was even there, and he it, could hardly believe it happened. Right, and I couldn't believe it happened either. It was, a, it was a total fluke, but... That's how it works, especially big crappies. Like, the biggest crappies I ever caught were total flukes. The majority of them are bycatch walleye fishing out of the river. Mm-hmm. And I'm blessed to fish a waterway that has a decent walleye population, but interestingly enough, it has... A wonderful crappie population, a trophy crappie population, and I wish I was less of a, a walleye snob, and I would target them more. But every year I hear of somebody catching a 16-and-a-half to 18-and-a-half inch crappie such out of the fish. river. Holy cow. Yes, and then the area I grew up in, similar story. There's just some giant crappies that are untapped. And I should spend more time fishing for them and pursuing them and figuring them out. Because honestly, like I don't even feel bad telling people this. They fight harder than a walleye? No, they oh. both fight like garbage. But, <laughs> <laughs> but they both taste phenomenal. The point I'm getting at, though, is I don't even feel bad about sharing this information. Because unless you know some stuff... Uh, or less, you're going to go spend some time to dial in that body of water. You can go show up and fish all you want. You're not going to do very well, at least not on trophy fish. Agreed. Yeah, the I don't know. Eastern Iowa's got some phenomenal fisheries. I guess Central Iowa has some phenomenal fisheries. Uh, very niche fisheries. Yes. Not destination fisheries, niche fisheries, but it, it's like, I, I've personally seen three three and three quarter pound crappies in person, which is absurd. It just gets weird at that size. It does. It doesn't seem like a crappie anymore. But all my big crappies, not all my big crappies, the majority of them have choked a, a four inch minnow bodied swim bait, the slimmer profile swim bait while I walleye fishing. Like the slick, slick swims? Yeah, just like the slick yeah. swims. Either the three, a three and a half to four inch, you okay. know, version that's comparable to what you're talking about. 
and then the, that three and three quarter pounder, ironically, it was a buddy of mine caught it and it was under a worm and bobber. <laughs> and my, my biggest crappie ever I caught when I was fishing for flathead bait and it was under worm and bobber. Man. I'd never caught a 16 inch crappie in my life. And then one day I caught two 16s and a 17 on a worm and bobber. I never caught a crappie that big. Yeah. Two of them became bait. <laughs> 17 got let go. Wow. One 16 caught a 35 pounder. The other 16 didn't catch anything. I reeled it in, inflated it out, and ate it. <laughs> 16-inch crappie catching a flathead. They don't that's, care, and neither just, do I. That's awesome. That's fun. Well, I mean, musky fishermen will throw out a 20-inch sucker. I'm just throwing that number out there, too. But, like, huge suckers where there's treble hooks just lying in their back. Yep. And they're casting that thing around all day. Yep. That's yeah, I want to get into that once I get a boat, that kind of fishing. Well, you said you get a boat, you're going to go dive whole hog into musky Muskies, fishing. yeah. I'll be casting out suckers, figuring it out. Since the day I met him, he's been musky bound. Like, yep. Have you I ever caught a musky? Yeah, out of the river. Big, big ones? Uh, it was probably, it was definitely over a yard. It didn't measure it or anything. Gotcha. Just put it back. Just one? Yep, just one yeah. in my life. It was a quarter-ounce jig, clown-colored quarter-ounce jig, and caught it by the mouth. It was a legit, a legit catch, and I was really surprised. Yeah, I don't know what the draw is. Uh, probably because of the baits that go along with what the fish is are just absurd sometimes. It's the most, it's the most like, if you look at a lure, you know that's for catching fish. Like period. If you look at a muscular as it gets, but it's they're the, they're very fun baits to make too because they're usually bigger baits and there's so much detail you can put into them and yeah. And you like big baits. Yeah. I mean, Marling he'll he'll throw an eight or a ten inch soft plastic. You know, and here I am with an inch and a half, you know, grub tail twister tail. Right. Yeah. Don't and give up on them. The big no, baits. No. No. He is. Them dedicated to that big stuff or i just i just want to catch something otherwise you get bored sure i get it i get it there's a lot of prestige that goes along with muskies i mean not only are they super difficult fish to catch especially on a consistent basis but uh they're just a super cool fish in the way that they function in their environment i mean you have a fish that won't eat or even look at a bait for out like for long periods of time but when they turn on mm. when they see that bait that they like there's nothing getting in the way between them and whatever they're going to eat yes and it's such a stark contrast that i totally get why it sucks people in yeah but my argument is that they don't fight that good musky yes oh, get them out of the river i have really yes and you don't think they fight that good i don't man what kind of fish are you catching like catfish what, what fights good catfish and that's yes. it they got a motor it must Would you say still. the only fish that fights good is a catfish no carp fight great oh god <laughs> not carp yeah they do <laughs> i hate to admit it I, I don't fish for carp carp fight great catfish fight great what hybrids else? fight great oh great. yeah that's for sure yeah and then muskies blow their load in like 20 <laughs> seconds <laughs> that's true i mean well if they hit it. What's and your it's biggest muskie? 49 and a half inches. Out of the river? Yes. 
Congratulations. Wow. Yeah. Landed on six-pound test in about 45 seconds. I did not realize the stud that I'm sitting next to here. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> I know. If you look at me, I'm pretty underwhelming. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've caught a handful of muskies out of the river in a variety of ways, and every time I've caught one, the the hit has been impressive. The initial fight has been impressive. Hmm. But it's almost over before it's began. Man. The one that I caught was must have been insane then. Because I pulled it out of the water and it wouldn't stop. It was just like it hit me in the face with its face like that. And <laughs> I'm still trying to hold it. It's doing this. And I'm trying to get pictures of it. It's just going crazy. Everything's a matter of perception, man. Yeah. You maybe know, I the- was young. Well, I was in high school still back then. And yeah, maybe I was just so fired up and... Musky out of the river was the biggest deal back then. And, and it still is. It's yeah. still awesome. I'm not downplaying musky fishing at all. Um, I'm just wanted to hear what you had to say about it. Yeah. You know, I have my opinions on musky fishing. It don't mean they're right. Uh, I would argue it definitely doesn't mean I'm wrong. But I will definitely say that there are fish that fight significantly har- significantly harder pound for pound than a, than a musky does. Where's a pike rank? They're comparable. About like a muskie. Yeah. Where's a bluegill rank? You know, people... Pound for pound. People talk about pound for pound, about bluegill being, you know, there's nothing else that fights harder pound for pound. I would argue a hybrid striper fights harder pound for pound. Um, Touche. A carp fights harder pound for pound. And it's not that they're maybe even stronger pound for pound. It's just the way they fight. Like... I don't see a bluegill making 100-yard runs if it was big. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Carp. But pound for pound. Yeah. Well, yeah. They make the runs because they're big, and our tackle's not... Uh, I think our like you fish with for a bluegill with an ultralight or something or just a medium-action pole or something, and you're not, that fish isn't going to be able to run because it's not... 50 pounds you know but i don't think the way that they're built the the way they would fight they would make big runs even i think if they, they fight were like big. a tuna yeah. like they're long and or they're tall and wide and skinny and they can get their but, side to you and like kick and just but go, 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 go. tuna are like cylindrical oh yeah well, they're like built GT like a can yeah gt yeah. or jack crevel would is in my mind and i don't know i guess a jack crevel makes big runs i caught about a 30 pounder out of my kayak and i fought it for an hour and a half on 12 pound test what are you talking about a, a what a jack crevel is a saltwater fish that's very uh compressed and tall like Wait, like a bluegill so is how do you get famous enough they name a fish after you uh a jack i don't know jack where, corvell crevel crevel jack is there's a jack so we're fishing thing. in the mississippi when are you going to catch a nick rundle you should have got in the mix earlier so you could have named an undiscovered fish after you. Bro, I'm trying. <laughs> Might be late to the party. But a Jack Cravel, there's a whole family of fish called Jacks. So you have Amber Jacks, you have Jack Cravels, you have Giant GTs, which um, the Trevally family would be Jack Cravels as well. And um, what would be other ones? Pompano would be in the Jack family. Um uh, I don't know. There's just a pilot. Okay. I, I I get. I've heard all those names. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that was a big. I don't know if they're named after an individual. I don't know where the name come from. Maybe we should start that. I'll 
put up my name first. Well, if you are a good enough marketer and you can push things hard enough, you could get people to, you know, nickname a fish after you that already has a name. Maybe we could rena- rename the Creek Chub. I call them Sneebs. Sneebs? Yeah. Sneebs. Yeah. Wow. I have no idea why. I don't. I, I came from a buddy of mine. Really? He, he was calling them Sneebs, and I started calling them Sneebs. Sometimes it's fun to just make up names. I think that's what <laughs> happened there. You ever, you ever realize Nate, he'll call you Shkimmy or something, just randomly? Well, I've only known him for about 12 hours now. So. No, I mean Nate, this guy. That's usually, yeah, you don't know him. You never met him. But no, I've known him for Nate. zero hours. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you ever catch a flounder? Yeah. Would you say that fight, like, you can't get those up? No. Kind of thing? But they don't make runs, do they? No. Blue pill. So maybe that's what the way a bluegill is. It, like, it just, it would be harder to pull in if you got a 10-pound bluegill, but... They wouldn't do a run like that, like well, you, a flounder. You got me thinking, though, because like, I was thinking of bluegills as compressed, tall fish. Yeah. And then I think of all the members of the jack family, except amberjack. They're kind of more of a cylindrical shape, but I've caught jack cravels, and no joke, that one that I hooked on a kayak was about 30-ish pounds, mm-hmm. and I caught it on a 12-pound line, and it pulled me every bit of a mile offshore in my kayak, and I fought it for an hour and a half. So it might be something to the bluegill. Pound for pound being the toughest fighting fish, freshwater. I don't know. But there might be a fish that's that way that's better than a bluegill. I don't know. Well, I, that, maybe Jack that, That's just my thought. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And my initial gut wrench reaction was to say no. But then the more I think about it, the more I'm like, maybe. What do you think the hardest fighting fish is? Bluegill. Bluegill, pound for pound. Musk. <clears throat> I will argue the muskie is not until the end of my days. I always thought it was like super testosterone full aggressive fish that fight super hard. But when you think the muskie guys, they have those giant trouble hooks off their baits so they can rip that muskie in as fast as possible, get it in the boat, unhook it. And there's not a fight. And their bods, their rods are so ridiculous. They barely bend when they're catching those fish. I mean, of course they bend. That was one thing I noticed when they're fighting them. Is that their fishing rods are barely flexed at all? Such a heavy action on those rods. It's well, you know, but it's yeah. It can't be that hard of a fighting of a fish. I said of too many times there, but I get your, I get what you mean now. I'll, I'll let my preconceptions go about musky. Well, there's you something don't, you don't like, have to cry to sleep tonight. Yep, it's fine. I'll be, I'll be okay. There's something that is prestigious about a muskie because of the challenge that's involved. Like, I think of guys who fish for muskies, and they feel really great about their season when they land 15 fish, and these are guys that are out there, you know, 100-plus days a year, and then they're putting 15 fish in the boat, and they feel great about it, and they should because that's a great year. Um, the, the fact that that is a great year tells you something about how, how hard these fish are to catch. Mm-hmm. And I have a ton of respect for anybody who fishes for muskies because of the dedication that goes along with it, and as well as the style of fishing that you have to partake in. Mm -hmm. Because you're, it's not like, I call flatheads muskies with whiskers, but the reality of the situation is I'm spending a lot of time on the water like a muskie angler, throwing big baits like a muskie angler, but what I'm not doing is casting a million freaking times like a muskie lure. I'm casting my baits let them sit, kicking back, relaxing, soaking everything in. A muskie fisherman is throwing 8 to 16-ounce baits 
over and over and working them in and working them in and just beating their body to shreds. Like there's no flathead fisherman who's taken <laughs> ibuprofen yeah. because of how many times they have to cast a bait. But that's like standard procedure with musky guys. I remember being on the musky forums and there's guys talking about how they're doing elbow surgery next week for they casted too many like they messed up their elbow so bad from casting so many times such heavy lures that they had to get surgery later and that can't even be that uncommon no it, it happens in the musky fish yeah, world like it's just standard procedure like oh bob had to go replace my elbow <laughs> you had to go get tommy john surgery because yeah. he's been throwing too many bulldogs yeah, you crazy. know it's like oh it's november oh, old, old bob went down for the count he'll be he'll be back in eight months though yeah give him some of that cbd or something we'll just put him on waivers <laughs> we'll pick up jim bodini <laughs> <laughs> muskies are something else though and the guys who fish for them are something else and i don't know i have big respect for someone who's dedicated to the cause especially with something that has minimal return as far as catching fish goes there's they're just guys out there who have to love the process because the end result is so scarce i think i'm into it too because it used to just be that the only people that made their own baits were pretty much musky fishermen because you can make some ridiculous stuff and still catch musky with it. Sure. And yeah, that's where my bait making all started. I probably went on a run and sold like a thousand musky lures time after time after time on eBay, mm-hmm. just selling baits like that. And yeah, really familiar with the musky tackle. So and I, I know have, it's a challenge, but I have more respect for a musky fisherman than I do the musky itself. Sure. Because those guys are so dedicated. Like, every cast, you know, it, all sun up to sundown, you know, figure eight, every yep. cast, coming back. Um, musky, to me, is just, I, I don't dig the fish. I need to get a musky angler on this podcast so they can explain to me the draw. Like, I can see these aspects from somebody. Like, I'm somebody on the outside looking in, trying to think about what could be the big draw. But I'd want to hear about, about it from somebody who's actually sucked in. You know, Because yeah, we're speculating. We're 100% speculating oh, yeah. right now. I know nothing. It's like uh, Catfish and Carp. What's his name? Luke. 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 Catfish and Carp. Um catfish and carp i mean i love the catfish i don't really care much for the carp but yeah why do those two go hand in hand all the time i bottom feeding fish the fight hard that's it that's but the first I, thing well, comes to my water. mind yeah i guess that's the, the only fish sorry nick it's it's the same thing for musky fishing you know it's 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 to me it's a bottom feeder it's like but it's not yeah, they'll hit topwaters too, but like, but I just don't get it. Yeah, I, I can't quite put my thumb on it, and that's why I'd like somebody who's obsessed to come onto the podcast and explain to me what the big deal is about it. Yeah, I wish there were more species. Are you talking about here? Yeah, everywhere. Well, freshwater. I just sure. wish there was more species. It's really not that much. Well, you could make... So everyone thinks about, about saltwater fishing, but I've done a lot of saltwater fishing, and when you break it down as far as common species to catch, it's not that significantly different. When you break it down, like, 
especially wintertime, like in the surf, and I'm talking in the surf, I'm not talking about dropping baits on reefs and wrecks and stuff like that in tropical areas, but if you're in semi-tropical areas, let's say like northern Florida, like in the Panhandle, if you go out in the wintertime and you are surf fishing and you chuck baits out and get them, even if you can effectively present your baits, you only have a reasonable chance of catching so many fish. You know, you're, you're going to catch some whiting. If you're lucky, you'll catch a redfish. You might catch some uh, Atlantic sharp-nosed sharks. You might catch some black tips. Uh, you might catch a sandbar shark, maybe a spinner, maybe, maybe a stingray. But there are not that many of them in the winter. Hmm. What's that, like five species? Yeah, if you want to get into more species, you got to be like a micro fisherman and catch daces and darters and that's about it yeah even but my point is even in salt water people are like oh you never know what you're gonna catch so well you have seasonal fish either did forrest gump <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm sure it's the same way in salt water yeah more that's so, only more so than you think yeah i think that's the only thing i'm dissatisfied about with fishing it's like i wish it was just i wish there was like a blue yellow teeth or something <laughs> It is. It's called a piranha. Yeah, I gotta so, go. You so should Spencer, go to the Amazon. Yeah, Spencer, you're fishing saltwater. You have no idea in the world where you are. Like, so you drop down. Give me, give me some more context, though. Where, where did you live when I was fishing saltwater? Yes, let's uh, South Padre Island is where I've okay. done most so, of my saltwater fishing. So we're on South Padre Island. Yep. You drop down. You catch something. You have no idea what that fish is. I have a pretty good idea of what that fish is. You never, ever once caught something that you didn't know what it was or grabbed it wrong or touched it or lipped it with teeth or... No. Man. We got a genius over here. No, you don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you just have someone who can identify 10 fish. Because that's all. Because that, that's yeah. it. Like During the summer, you would catch Spanish mackerel, occasional bluefish... Uh, you'd catch a handful of different shark species, redfish, black drum, and stingrays, and Jack Cavell. I might be missing a few things, but that's way less than 10. And then as you progress through the different seasons, you'd run into pompano, you'd run into more sheephead, occasional mangrove snapper, and then some speckled trout, and that was So you never it. get, like, the random fish like you do in the river, like... Uh, yeah, you would, but it's not like something that's so far removed you had no idea what it was. Okay. I caught some some species in the rocks that I still can't um, identify off the top of my head, but it's not like so far removed where I had no idea whatsoever that that was a possibility. Bluegills. <laughs> what about them? They were bluegills. Oh, in the rocks? Yeah. If you catch them in the rocks, they're bluegills. <laughs> The weirdest one I ever caught, probably, which wasn't even that weird, but it was just how I caught it. I was shark fishing and had a ladyfish. That'd be another species I guess I didn't think of, but a ladyfish uh, on the bottom fishing for sharks and a 50-something-inch king mackerel ate it, and wow. I re reeled that thing in. That was kind of different. Can't, like, dolphins and stuff swim up there? Oh, absolutely. And, like, you mean dolphin fish or, or dolphins? Uh, dolphins. That's on the Atlantic coast, right? Or are they everywhere? Are you talking about mahi mahi? I live in Iowa. Or are you talking about dolphins? Dolphins. 
Yeah, they're everywhere in the ocean. Okay. Yeah, I saw, you'd see all kinds of dolphins in South Padre. You're not supposed to catch those, right? Well, nobody targets them. Okay. Occasionally, you hook up on one. But there's, there's, there's a lot more in the salt. No, there's absolutely more fish in the ocean. I'm not going to argue and say there's more fish in the ocean, but I will argue that the idea that you never know what you're going to catch, 99% of the time you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to catch. Okay. Even in the ocean. Yep. Yeah. And then that 1% of the time you get some weird stuff. But even when you get some weird stuff, you most of the time you know what it is. Like a stargazer. Huh? Yeah. Never heard of that. Yeah, they're a weird fish that sits right where the water breaks on shore, and they bury themselves in the sand. And I think they're poisonous, and I know for sure. They might not be poisonous. I think they're poisonous. But I know for sure that if you stepped on one or you grab one, they'll shock the crap out of you. Wow. Like not me. actual charge. Yes, yes. Wow. Not me. Well, you'd have to touch them, so I'm assuming you're not going to touch I live them. in Iowa. Oh, yeah. You're not going to catch one. Isn't there lionfish, too? They got, like, rays in their stick. Not, not in South Texas. That's uh, oh. South Florida. And then, uh, like, more tropical areas. Okay. Yeah. They are delicious. I've eaten them. Did you, have, did you clean it yourself? No. I went to a restaurant. Okay. Yeah. Somebody cleaned it, and then somebody cooked it, and I just ate it. You got puffer fish and starfish and... Starfish are not a fish, though. I did catch one. Seahorses. <laughs> All right, weird story. And this is probably my, my last story of this podcast. But I was uh, shark fishing on South Padre, and I was reeling my baits in to check them. And your shark rigs generally consist of about 10 to 50 feet. You know, it varies a lot. But 10 to 50 feet of heavy monofilament, or what I was using at the time because I'm cheap, uh, 0.105 weed eater string. Oh, yeah. So that was the top half of the leader, and then you'd use a swivel and connect that to the bottom half of the leader, which was 3 to 10 feet, depending on what you wanted to do with it, either 1,000-pound aircraft cable or number 19 piano wire. And that would <laughs> Yeah, and that would terminate with a 20-ounce circle hook. You sh- I, I like the Mustad. Some guys like the Eagle Claws. The Eagle Claws were a little smaller, which is what I didn't like about them. But uh, a big, beefy 20-ounce circle hook. And I was reeling that in to check my bait. And I reeled it in and got it. And my bait was all mangled up. And I always check out my bait to see if I was getting bit on by anything at all. And as I grab the leader to check out my bait, I look at the hook point And there is a seahorse impaled nice. on the end of this 20-ounce circle hook. Only seahorse I've ever seen in my life. Had a big hook point sticking out through the middle of his so body. That, I felt like a giant well, jerk. You throw it back out. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> okay, so actually, right. they have sixteen. I, I just found out we're they looking. They have one that's this big. A twenty yacht. How big is that compared to that? The diameter of the wire. All right. So to preface what I'm talking about right here. Nick got up to check out a hook that he's very familiar with, an owner beast hook that they put in swim baits that they pour in the shop. And it, when they call it a beast hook, it's it's a beast, especially when you think owner about it from a name brand. Yes, from a freshwater perspective. And this is a 10 aught, and he's asking me how it compares to a 20 aught. So I lay this hook in my hand, 
And I have a big palm. I wear an extra large glove just to give context to what we're talking about. And that takes up approximately half of my palm, right? Yep. The 20 out takes up the whole space of my palm. Oh, okay. And then the wire itself is at least three, maybe four times thicker than this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's a big beefy hook. And then they also make a 24 out circle that's even bigger than that, which if you think about how circles function, they have to rotate in the corner of the mouth. But if the gap is not big enough to accommodate the width of the corner of the the fish's mouth, then they don't effectively hook up on a consistent rate. And that was one problem I ran into shark fishing is this 20 out circle hook. While it had a pretty large gap, when you're you're talking about fishing for... uh, you know, one to 2,000 pound fish and having a hook to accommodate that width of that fish's um, mouth, at least, you know, the outside edge of that fish's mouth, 20 ounce lots of times just didn't get the job done. And then on top of that, shark skin is like leather. So imagine a cowboy boot made of thick leather. And then imagine trying to shove a fishing hook through a circle hook. <laughs> or yeah, well, lots of times the circle hooks never penetrated. You'd reel this fish in and fight this fish on really heavy pressure, and once you got there, as soon as the pressure came off, the hook just literally fell out because the hook point never pierced the corner of their mouth; it was just resting there. So, so the twenty out, twenty four out hooks you're talking about was that kind of standard something you'd see at the local bait shops or no no um where i picked up mine you'd either have to order them online but when i was in south padre i can't remember the name of the shop it was a commercial fishing shop where they sold 20 out circle hooks and to this day they still sold them for the cheapest price i've ever seen i think i just want some to hang on the wall (laughs) well next time i come over i'll bring you one well that sounds good. Okay. Next time I go bluegill fishing, I might use one. I catch. I think you need to make I, a bait and hang it off of one. I'm good. I, I'll do that. What else? They have other stuff. From, they got hooks that size that aren't circle hooks. They just have a, like just standard J hooks. Standard J hooks. So wow. the the hook style that's predominantly used for those extra large saltwater grade hooks is uh, O'Shaughnessy. Yeah, I have yeah. some seven knots of those. Okay, I have some 12s, and I've seen them up to an 18. Yeah. The largest I've ever heard of was a 22, and the, the size of that's just ridiculous. Yeah. I've seen 20s in person. I've heard of 22s. The 20s in person are the same width as my palm, but the shank the hook is the entire length of my hand. Actually, it'd probably be wider than the bend of the hook is wider than my palm, so it would run the outside edge of my hand, curl around my fingertips, extend out further, closer to my thumb, and go down probably halfway between my palm and where my thumb is sticking clear out from my palm. I can make a lure that would accept that hook. Whoa. No problem. I believe that. (laughs) So anyway. Holy smokes. Yeah, my parting story is about how I murdered a... uh... Nice. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so any any parting words from you guys as we wrap up this podcast? Anything you want to leave the listeners with? Anything you want to, like, I obviously want you to share uh, how people can either, A, find you, or B, get a hold of you if you feel like that's appropriate, and then just any party messages to go along with that. The old last cast, if you will. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Epic Bait Molds, Marling Baits. NickRundle.03 on Instagram. Check myself plastic stuff out if you don't like it. You suck. 
<laughs> I wasn't going to say that. I said but it for you. Kind of. Yeah. Um, you if make you some have questions stuff, on yeah. anything I make, DM me. Message me. I will answer questions. So, yeah. I'll, I'll just say Spencer's awesome. We went out and fished. It was like negative six today. He was all gung ho about it and stuff. So, yeah, Spencer's, Spencer's not a pansy. He's definitely awesome. <laughs> welcome back to the bait cave. I'm a hopeless addict when it comes to catching fish, whether it's bluegills through the ice when it's ridiculously cold or big fish. I just kind of, I'm kind of a junkie. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks fun- for fishing with us. Yes, thank you, thank you. The funny thing was, I didn't think I'd ever see this guy cry, <laughs> but when Marlin caught that bullhead. He just cheered up. Yeah, they actually froze to my face, too. <laughs> he, he, he couldn't believe that he didn't catch the bullhead first. No, I 100% believe it, because that's my luck. But I, I cried anyway. The tears froze to my cheeks, and and I then I got fries, frostbite again. But uh, we won't go any further into that. <laughs> I'll, I'll just leave it with, uh, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please take the time to review it. It helps me out. It helps this podcast out and helps get this podcast out to more people. So if you enjoyed it, take the time to review it. And if you want to tell me how much you enjoyed it or tell me how much you hate it, uh, or tell me how awesome the guys that I get to spend time with on this podcast are shoot me an email, Spencer at river certified.com. You can check out my YouTube channel on, on YouTube, obviously, uh, river certified.com. I have social media, Instagram, facebook tiktok all that good stuff so please go check that out if you want to support me in any other way i got a whole bunch of merchandise for sale we have some things that are out of stock but hopefully they'll be back soon and we have some other things in stock you can get your river certified shirt and let everyone know how river certified you actually are yeah yeah and uh i think that pretty much covers it all uh thank both of you guys for taking the time yeah it was fun i enjoyed it and thank you for not only doing the podcast but inviting me out here because i've had a blast it was a blast yep i hope i hope this isn't the last time i hope we get to do another podcast hope we get to make some more baits and and do a little more fishing because i had a good time yeah when it warms up a little bit come on over It, it would be more fun to cast the baits it will yes versus drop them down a hole in the ice but it's not a bad consolation prize in the meantime. This is just uh, something to get your mouth a little wet. Yeah. Did you just say wet? Wet. Yeah. All right. On that note, I think we're going to call our quits. But thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you, guys. Uh, take it easy. Hope you catch Jack. Pa-pow. On to the next podcast. <laughs> Perfect. Now in Waypoint TV's 2023 Series Showdown. Your favorite hunting and fishing shows are going head-to-head. Visit waypointtv.com to vote and be entered to win a giveaway from Element Outdoors. Cast your votes during each round until the champions are crowned. Get in the game and vote in the Series Showdown. Presented by Expedition Enterprises and Vote Trader. Only at waypointtv.com. Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.